Well, good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? I'm on, right? Yep. Good morning. Praise God. Thanks. Good morning. It, it's a good morning. It was slow coming in. All of a sudden, everybody, because it's sunny, where are they all going? And they get in the main lane and they drive. They have no place to go. They are not expected to arrive at any time. But I have to be at church. And they're my way. And I have to obey the law. Because God forbid the officer should pull me over and, and he asks me where I'm going. And I say to him, I'm going to church. And he says, do you realize the speed that you've been going? No, that was the Holy Spirit power behind me. He's just pushing me, officer. He's just pushing me. So anyways, we, yeah, we were just commenting as we were driving in, like, because normally the roads at certain times and in certain spots are a little bit more vacant and bare, how everybody is out and uh, it must be the sun. So I'd like to say that maybe you're all out this morning because it must be the sun of God. That's good, eh? That was just on the moment. <laughs> That's just on the moment. I'm just kidding around. So Wednesday night, I went to um, my son-in-law. Uh, it was his badge ceremony, and he was sworn in as an officer. And, and uh, because this is online, I won't say. But as an officer with a, with a police service. And um, so as I'm sitting there, uh, you know, God is very unique, and he... he does things precisely and, and intentionally. And as I'm sitting there in the room, and it's gradually filling up with family and friends, at the front of the room is the mission of this police service. And it says, um, one vision, one mission, one team. And I thought, oh, Lord, they put that up just for me. Just for me, because this morning I've entitled um, the, the message, Now What? Now what? Because you see, Easter took place last week. Jesus has died, he has risen again, and his disciples may be in that place. Now what? Now what are we supposed to do? The Messiah is no longer with us. Now where, where, where do we go from here? And Jesus intentionally made his appearances to various disciples. And the tradition is to go to those examples this morning. First Sunday after Easter. And to give, uh, give what would you say? Give proof that Jesus rose again because he proved to those disciples, to Mary and, and the men, I'm here, I'm alive. But I thought, no, no, we have to go just a little bit different because, you know, otherwise what happens to us is while we're listening, we go, oh, yeah, 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 I know this story already. And we miss a message that God wants to say to us. You know, like if I said to you in John 3.16, all of a sudden right now, some of you are quoting that in your head. Right? Why? Because that's how we're fashioned to make. So if I were to now this morning speak on the appearances of Christ right after his resurrection, some of you may miss something that God wants to say to you because you are formulating your own thoughts of what I might be going to say. So I says, you know what, Lord? Now what? Now what? The gospel has to be proclaimed because Jesus said to them, 
before he ascended, in Matthew 28, verses 18 to 20, he said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Now what? We need to proclaim the gospel. Now what? We need to be of singular vision. We need to be of one mission. We need to be one team. Across Christendom, we need to be that representation of sharing the gospel under the authority that God has given us. So with that today, we are going to be looking at Acts chapter 8. Um, I wanted to even pick out one individual who isn't talked about all that much, yet we all know him, hopefully. And um, we're going to look at him and his life, and that is the evangelist Philip. Let's just pray. Father God, I thank you for this morning. I thank you for your word. I thank you that, Lord, your word is always fresh. It's always manna. It's always food. And Lord, you have something that you want to speak to. I believe that, Lord, there are individuals in this room that you have something specific and intentional to say to them. Because, Lord, you are an intentional God. And so, Lord, as we just dive into this word, I pray that you would give me the words to say, clear out the clutter and the static Lord, we bind out any distractions that would attempt to rise up within this room. We bind every thought that the enemy would want to plant in the heads of your people that are here, that would distract them from hearing the truth of what you are saying. In the name of Jesus, Satan, you have no authority in this room. From center to circumference, Lord, we thank you that your presence is here we thank you, O oh God, because of the blood you shed on the cross. We are here to worship you. So be glorified this morning in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Hello. Yes, just one moment, please. <laughs> Somebody's phone went off. Okay, so we are in Acts chapter 8, and we are looking at Philip. We are reading from verse 26 onward to 40, and we're just going to go kind of verse by verse. But we open up the, the, the section of this chapter with, Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Rise and go down, excuse me, rise and go towards the south, to the road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza, this is a desert place. The angel asked Philip to arise and go. Now, he's to go down to, go, go down to this, this uh, desert place, to this road of Gaza. And this road of Gaza is considered to be a, a desert place. Now, it's interesting because as we're going to take a moment and jet back to, to what all was happening in Philip's life, what we are picturing here is there is a transition because the passage starts with now. 
So if it starts with now, we know there's something that was before it, but at this moment, this is what the angel of the Lord is saying to do. At this moment, I want you to rise up and to go down the angel of the Lord. And so there is a transition that is happening. He's going from what was familiar, where he just was, to what is unfamiliar. He's going down to a road. There, there's two roads, and he's taking the road that is not commonly traveled. Perhaps angel, uh, Philip could have said to, to uh, the angel, I I'm sorry, what, what did you just ask me to do? You said to go down to the desert? Go, go down to the road Gaza? And, and, and that this road is a desert place? So let me understand you, angel. You want me to go from this fruitful place that I'm in right now to this desert place. You, you want me to leave what I've been doing here, this ministry that I've been involved with here to go to, what, this desert place? Are, are, you, are you sure, angel of the Lord? But this is what it appears. Let me understand you. You want me to leave. It doesn't make sense. Or does it? Because God is always intentional. God is always doing something. It may not make sense to me when God says, do this. And I'm like, yeah, but you haven't made it clear to me. Like, I, 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 I'm just not sure if that's what you want me to do. Because when I get there, what do I do when I get there? You see, we want all the details. But God wants to know, will you go without the details and trust my voice? Will you go without the details and trust my leading? And so we see here that Peter or Philip is about to make this journey. Now I want to tell you something. It's not just a 20 kilometer journey. It's not just here to center downtown. It's not here to Etobicoke. It's not here to Brampton. This, friends, is, is a journey that's kind of like from here to Brantford. And I'm not saying Brantford is a desert place. <laughs> For some of you, it may appear that way. <laughs> but there is about 76, 75, 76 kilometers to maybe 100 kilometers to this destination that he has to go on, this journey. And this journey, now in those days, they commonly went by foot. So it would not have taken him just a, a few minutes, get in the car, jet down the road, I'll be there in 15 minutes, I'll pick you up, be waiting outside. This was a, a, a walking journey. Now, so that walking journey, if he were to do the mathematics of Google search, that tells me five kilometers per hour, unless you're Pastor Dino Andriadis, um, <laughs> then you go a few more, like, like for every one step, three of his. And so it, it, could be, it could be potentially 20 to 24 hours if he were to stop and rest, use the washroom, have something to eat. So this is a, a, a journey that the, the angel of the Lord is telling him to go on and it doesn't make sense because he's leaving what seems to be a fruitful ministry that he was having. But the omniscient, all-knowing God. 
the all-knowing God who sees all and has very much wisdom is directing him. And so Philip, this frontline man, is going to go forward. Now we only have to turn back into the beginning of the chapter and it'll make sense to you why it would seem, why would the angel of the Lord call him to go? At the beginning of the chapter, the, per, the Christians were under much persecution. Stephen had d- just been stoned, and they had, uh, and they had buried him. And so the, the, uh, uh, the apostles and them were sharing the word of God. But Saul, that guy Saul, was going into every house, and he was taking the Christians out, and he was dragging them out of their homes. And he was persecuting the Christians. And under this time of persecution, under this time of sadness, because Stephen had just died, in comes Philip. And it says, Now those who were scattered went, verse 4 of chapter 8, about preaching the word, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and proclaimed to them the Christ. And so in this, Philip begins to proclaim Christ. And as he's proclaiming Christ, people are getting saved. As he's proclaiming Christ, people are, are being delivered of their paralysis. The lame are walking, the blind are seen. Those that are bound are being set free. Many are coming to Christ. And this revival that is taking place within that area is all of a sudden, in Samaria, is now drawing the attention back home. The apostles, Peter and John, had heard about it. People were getting baptized. There was a sorcerer, his name was uh, Simon, and, and he was already bewitching the people of Samaria with all of his crafty witchcraft. And they were buying into it. A matter of fact, they were saying, this man has power like God. He is the great one. And so when, Pete, when Philip comes and he brings the truth of Jesus Christ, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ, and he preaches in, under the anointing of what Jesus Christ had just done, people's eyes are transitioned off of Simon the sorcerer and they are being open to the truth of Jesus and they are beginning to believe and as a result of believing they are getting saved then even Simon says but you know it must be true what he is preaching even Simon comes to believe and gets baptized oh but the crook comes in this way Peter and John make a special trip to see what all is happening. And as they arrive, they see all the new believers. And they begin to gather and, and, and pray over them. And now these new believers were filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And when Simon the sorcerer saw this, he's like, wow, these guys have some power. These guys have some power. Look at all these people. Look what is happening. He was so caught up with Philip initially that he was dovetailing Philip, but then he says to Peter, hey, you know, like, how much can I give you for some of this power? Peter looks at him and and almost, if the the scriptures were were to, uh, Peter's very polite. Peter's very polite. He doesn't answer him the way we are. Peter says to him this, If you could buy some power, Peter looked at him and he says, may you and your money burn in hell. That's basically what he was saying. 
may you and your money burn in hell. Actually, you know what? Go to the verses and you'll see just how polite he was. But this is what he was saying. Verse 20 of chapter 8. But Peter said to him, may your silver perish with you. Because you thought you could obtain a gift of God with your money, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart is not right before God. Repent. Repent. You know what, Simon? You are a bitter, jealous man. You need to repent. You need to repent. And you, you know what else? You need deliverance. You know what some of the freedom these people are experiencing? You need a taste of that deliverance, Simon. And so this is the backdrop of the ministry that was going on in Philip's life. Imagine coming from a service where every single week you are seeing that people are being saved, people are being delivered, the lame are walking, the, every, there's healing, the, the wonder-working power of God is happening, and all of a sudden God says to you, oh, you're going to move to this city and you're going to start attending that church. I'm quite comfortable where I am. I, I, I'm really happy with all that I see you doing. God, I'm seeing the demonstration of your power. Philip, arise and go down to Jerusalem, to, Ga to Gaza. Go down to Gaza. This is a desert place. God has a mission for, uh, 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 an assignment for Philip. You can write this down for you. To respond to the vision, you must <clears throat> walk in obedience. To respond to the vision, you must walk in obedience. Remember I said to you there was a banner, one vision, one mission, one team. Guess where the beginning of the sermon began to be penned out? Right there in that room waiting for the, com the, the badge ceremony to take place. Waiting for the name and he's W. He's at the very end of the alphabet waiting for the name to be called so that he would stand and make an oath to the queen, because you know our, queen, our king has not been coronated yet. Make an oath to the queen, I will stand under the laws of the land, and by my very best effort, I will operate under them. That's just my synopsis of the oath. To, you have to make vision. To respond to the vision, you must walk in obedience. What did Philip do? He arose. What did Philip do? Philip obeyed. Are you in a place this morning that you are willing to obey what seems to be a very strange directive? Are you willing to obey what seems to be something that's going to take you out of a flourishing to something that seems to be unknown, that seems to be dead, that seems to be just not purposeful? Are you willing to obey God because his voice has said, arise and go without all the details being given to you? 
You see, our obedience as North, North Americans is this. Give me the details. Okay, mm-hmm, yeah, right, got it. And then what about, yeah, okay, all right. And once we have everything in order, once we have that trip planned, once upon a time you can go to CAA if you were going to make a, a cross-country trip. And they would give you what they call a triptych. And on that triptych, it would tell you all the different hotels, all the different stops and points of interest. Now we got Google and she talks to us. And we can even choose the voice. But you know what? When your husband was in the seat next to you, you couldn't choose what voice he was talking to you. When he said, turn right, turn right, right? But Google just says, oh, recalibrating. <laughs> recalibrating. We want all the details. Are you willing to obey even when all the details are not given to you? Are you willing to say, okay, God, I'm going to arise? And that's what Philip did. He took the road that was least traveled. You may be called on a journey this morning that's not very popular. You may be in a journey right now that's not very popular. At least it doesn't feel popular to you because you're not enjoying it. But if you would change your perspective that this is God's doing, that God is up to something, then you could see what God is about to unfold. You see, Peter embraced the vision that God was bringing him somewhere without seeing now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. Philip was walking out in the faith that I'm to arise and go without seeing what is there when I go. Your obedience is imperative because there's another person. There's someone else. There's another situation that cannot move to its next chapter, that cannot be set free, that cannot be fully released until you walk in obedience. It's never just about you. For God, it's about the whole picture. And so what does the rest of the verse say? It says this, and he rose and went, oh wait, excuse me, yeah, let's just go there. And he rose and went, verse 27, and there was an, an Ethiopian, a eunuch, a court official of Candace, well, we, you know what, we say Candace, but you know what it actually is? Kandaki, believe it or not. I'm telling you the truth. Queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. What was this Ethiopian? What was he? A eunuch. He was a eunuch. What is a eunuch? He was a eunuch meaning he was emasculated. We don't know how he came to be emasculated. Was he once a, sta a slave? And just before reaching the age of puberty, was he emasculated at that point? We don't know. But he was emasculated. 
There is another role that was also given to him. The other role was he was the minister of finance. Now, some people, if you were, go, if you were to go into the actual Hebrew of that word eunuch, it's uh, in the Hebrew, it's saris, saris pertaining to um, an official, because you could either choose to be an official, so I, I'm choosing to be uh, in this role, I, I'm choosing to, to be celibate in this role uh, that I'm occupying, but in this portion that we are reading in Luke, it's actually written in the Greek, and the Greek is eukonos, and Eukonos is one who has been emasculated and, and, and one who, a person that has uh, been castrated, a person that is a keeper of the chamber. So what was this eunuch's role? He, his role was to attend to the needs of the queen. And the reason why, if I could just give you a little bit of glimpse, the reason why he was emasculated was because if he was going to attend to her needs, he would not be a temptation or bring her harm. Okay, so he was attending to the needs of the queen. But what else did the verse say? And he came to Jerusalem to worship. That's where it gets confusing. The eunuch came to Jerusalem to worship. He had the authority of the queen. He had, uh, excuse me, he operated under the authority of the queen under the fine, uh, as a finance minister to the queen. And now perhaps he wanted some time off. Perhaps he went there and says, listen, I've been faithful, you know, all this whole year. I just need a couple weeks. I just need to go down to Jerusalem. I, I, can, can I have a couple weeks off? Can, can I just have a, some, some time off? And so he makes this journey to Jerusalem. And when he gets to Jerusalem, he's going to Jerusalem for something. What is he going to Jerusalem for? The Word of God says that he is going to Jerusalem to worship. Now you need to keep that in the front of your mind because if you don't keep that in the front of your mind, none of this is going to make sense. He's on a mission, and he's going to Jerusalem to, to worship. Okay, so let's make two points now. The first point was that you respond to the vision. To respond to the vision, you must walk in obedience. The second point is this. Your obedience to your mission will lead you and others to truth. Your obedience to the mission will lead you and others to truth. Okay, you remember I said to you he was going down to Jerusalem to, to worship. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 23, verse 1, do you know what it says about the eunuchs there? It says this, No one whose testicles are crushed or whose male organ is cut off shall enter the assembly of the Lord. I'm sorry, Mr. Eunuch. P.S. His name is not given to us. I'm sorry, you're going down to Jerusalem to worship... But no one who is in your position is allowed to enter into the assembly of the Lord. Does that make any sense to you? He's making this trip specifically to worship. If anything, let's pause and reflect that there is something stirring within his heart. He is hungering for truth. Despite the role that he is in, 
despite the office that he is keeping, he is hungering for truth. He is hungering for an answer. And he's going to go and search for that answer. There is something deeper happening here in this text. There is something deeper that God wants us to catch today that we won't catch if we just go, oh yeah, Philip ministered to a eunuch. Yeah, and he explained Christ to him. Let's keep reading. Verse 27 through to 28 says this. He had come to Jerusalem to worship and was returning, seated in his chariot, and he was reading the prophet Isaiah. Jump down in your Bible to verse 32 and 33. And it says, Now the passage of Scripture that he was reading was this. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter, and like a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. He was reading from the prophet of Isaiah. Not only does this prophet Isaiah hold within its passages the truth that points us to Jesus, But this prophet Isaiah holds within its pages the answer to this eunuch's yearning. The answer to the mission that is driving him there. The custom in those days was that if you were reading the scriptures, you would be reading them aloud. And so he is on his uh, caravan and he is reading. And Philip, let's go back to now, Philip, verse 29, and it says, And the Spirit said to Philip, Go over and join this chariot. So Philip ran. Now, I have to ask you something. What is the difference between the angel of the Lord saying to Philip, Arise and go, and Philip rose and went? And... Verse 29, so Philip, the verse 30, so Philip ran to him. What's the difference? All of a sudden now, as Philip is entering into Gaza, he is seeing something. Philip the evangelist is seeing something. And, he's, and the Spirit of God says to him, go over and join this chariot. Now, if he is on a chariot, the eunuch, he's riding. And Philip comes along. Hey, how's it going? I hear you're reading the scriptures. (laughs) And he says to him, tell me something. Do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch says to him, how can I understand if somebody doesn't tell me? And he invites Philip to join him on the caravan. And so Philip joins him. And Philip begins to break open what the scriptures say. Philip was on a mission. Philip 
when he was in Samaria, was ministering to crowds. If you went to uh, Acts chapter 8, verse 6, it said that the crowds would gather in one accord and they would listen to what Philip was saying. And so Philip is used to talking to a lot of people at one time. But now he sees that he's being called to the one. His mission went from the many to the one. His mission went from talking to crowds to multitudes, to people being fully engaged, to going to the one and running alongside with that one and saying, do you understand? When he didn't even understand at first why he was being called to go to Gaza, why he was being sent to this desert place. But he's saying to the guy sitting in the chariot, do you understand what you're reading? Do you see the mission beginning to unfold? Are you getting a little bit of understanding? Is the Spirit of God speaking into you something that you can go, I got it. I see. If it hasn't yet, it's going to come. You see, God was interested in this eunuch. God was interested in the one man. God is interested in you this morning. There is one here, God is interested in you. You are here because God so purposed that you would be here. Because Luke tells us in Luke chapter 15, verses 3 to 7, uh, the parable of when the shepherd goes for the lost sheep. Can we read it? It says this, so he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he lost one of them, does not leave the 99 in the open country, in the open country, and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, rejoice with me. For I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons with no repentance. God was concerned for this eunuch. God saw the day-to-day duties that he fulfilled while he was in the queen's chambers, while he was ministering to the queen, while he was taking care of her finances. But God saw that there was something within this man that made him to feel unfulfilled. A matter of fact, I will go further to say it's not so much as God saw that there was something within this man that made him to feel unfulfilled, as much as God allowed this man to feel uncomfortable in the place that he was in, uncomfortable and unfulfilled in his life, so that this man would be driving to go for his mission, that he would be driving to go and pursue truth. And so here God makes a special assignment, a special arrangement just for him in the presence of the multitudes. In the presence of all of us here today, God has your heart on his mind. And he will bypass the person sleeping next to you. He will bypass the one who is planning their week to make contact with you who is fully engaged to hear what his spirit wants to say to you today.
He loves you. He will go down that desert road. He will seek you out because that's what it says. He, will, he does not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the one that is lost. He is pursuing you today. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip said? Do you understand what you are hearing this morning? Do you understand what you are reading? How can I unless I, someone guides me? We should never, never be afraid to say, you know what, I just don't get everything that's in the scriptures. Because I don't. Many times I have to say, Lord, what in the world? I don't get it. And I have to read it in this translation, and I have to read it in that translation, and I have to read this commentary, and then I, and then I find out that that one word held the whole meaning to the whole text. It's okay not to understand, and it's okay to say, I don't get it. And the eunuch said, how can I know unless someone explains it to me? And so the eunuch said to Philip, about whom, I ask, does the prophecy say this is about? Verse 34 and 35, himself or someone else? This was crucial to the eunuch. He really, really needed to know the answer to this question, and you'll understand in a moment. About whom was he writing? Himself or someone else? Then Philip opened his mouth, and beginning with the scripture, the very scripture that they were reading, he told of the good news of Jesus. He told of the good news of Jesus. You know, it was only fair that um, the eunuch would ask who the passage was speaking about, because at that time, the nation of Israel thought that maybe this suffering servant was them because of all the troubles that they had gone through fighting the enemy, because of the exiles that they had been, because of the bondage that they had faced. So some of them were thinking, maybe this passage speaks of us. Some of the Jews thought that perhaps... Isaiah was speaking about himself. Others thought, oh, well, maybe this passage speaks about the Messiah. But they didn't want to believe that it spoke about their Messiah because they did not want to accept that their Messiah would suffer in such a way. And so there was a cafundrum question of who is he speaking about? Who is he speaking about? But there is something even more in the text that will lend to giving us understanding as to why he asked that question. Stay tuned. So Philip brings understanding and he reads verse 32. Like a sheep he was led to the slaughter and like a lamb before his shear is silent. So he opens not his mouth in his humiliation. Justice was denied. Who can describe his generation? Now do you get what the eunuch was asking? To whom is he speaking? I want to know, Philip, can you tell me who is this person that this passage is speaking about? Because I could relate to him. I could relate to him because I cannot pass on to the next generation because I am a eunuch 
I am unable to procreate. Philip, I could relate to this one. I could relate. Philip, would you tell me? Philip begins to explain the passage, and speaking of Jesus, he came, that he came to his own, and when Jesus came to his own, he came like a lamb going to the slaughter. What happens to the lamb going to the slaughter? The owner would bring it, and when he would bring it to the slaughtering place, he would shave it right down until the, the lamb was fully stripped of its wool. Fully stripped and there lay, uh, standing, bare skin. Fully stripped. And so the picture is of Christ, how he went to the cross. Fully stripped. He was naked before us, but for the loincloths, according to the movies. He spoke not a word of defense. Jesus was that lamb. The lamb does not say one thing as it is being led forth. Not a thing is spoken by that lamb. And Jesus, not a word was spoken. He went and he bore our sins on that cross. He was beaten. He was despised. He was spit upon. He bore all of our shame, all of our guilt, all of our sin. He became that lamb. And so Philip begins to explain this. And Philip shares with him the whole gospel. All along, they're riding in this caravan. All along, you know what? It, the chariot, whichever way you want to call it. You know what I'm also realizing? That when the eunuch would have gone, he wouldn't have gone alone. I am sure that the queen would have sent some officials that would have traveled with him. Matter of fact, there would have been somebody driving that caravan. And so as Philip is sharing the truth with the eunuch, there are others that are overhearing. Though the message is for one this morning, there are others here that are overhearing it. There are others here that will be blessed by it. There are others here that the Lord is going to take one nugget and that's all that you needed to hear. And so there they are riding with. But the message and the attention is to the one. The message is for the eunuch. This Christ went to the cross for you. This Christ took all of your guilt so that you would be guiltless. This Christ took all the shame that you bear, all the shame that you feel. You, Mr. Eunuch, who feels that you've been emasculated, in a sense your identity has been taken from you. Jesus went to the cross for you. He went to the cross for you. That you would know in that feeling, whether it was because you were a slave and in bondage to slave and therefore had to be sold as such to be a eunuch and therefore emasculated as such, God comes to say, I bear that shame. I bear that shame 
so that you may be set free to know who you are and whose you are. Was that promise he was making to the eunuch? There was a promise that God made in his word to the eunuchs. And you know what? As I was reading this, it made me say maybe that's why he had to go down to Jerusalem. Turn in your Bibles to Isaiah. Isaiah 54. Excuse me, 56. Isaiah 56. Isaiah 56, verses 3 to 5. Philip has just poured out who this Christ is. And beginning with the scripture, bear this in your mind, beginning with the scripture where the eunuch was reading, Philip began to reveal the Christ to him. Do you not think that in their conversation they came to this passage? It says this, Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, The Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, Behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant. I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughter. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. Philip, tell me who is this man that they are talking about that has no generations to follow? Philip, is, who is this man? This is why the eunuch wanted to know who the man was. Because perhaps while he was working in the queen's court, perhaps at some point in time in his growing years, he heard that God had made a promise. He heard that God had made a promise that he would have an everlasting name. But his mind could not understand how that everlasting name could come, how his name could carry on from generation to generation because he was unable to procreate. He was unable to be fruitful. Tell me, Philip, who is he talking about? Oh, Mr. Eunuch, he is talking about Jesus who has come to give you a new name written down in glory and it's mine. Oh, yes, it's mine. He's come to give you a name, Mr. Eunuch. He's come to bring from your life fruit. He has come to let you know that your name will go on as a monument. It will go on for everlasting. Oh, you know what? Maybe now we can go back to the beginning of where we started. Maybe now we can go back to the eunuch in the queen's chamber when he went to her and said, I want to go down to Jerusalem. Maybe the conversation went a little differently. Perhaps his whole mission was with hopes that he would find out 
what he was told was true. There was a promise made to the eunuchs. There was a promise made to those that are barren. There was a promise made to those who were unfruitful. Perhaps when he arrived in Jerusalem and he went to the temple, maybe I could just go under the radar. Nobody would notice me. Maybe I could just slip in beside someone else and nobody would notice me. Uh, excuse me, excuse me, Mr. Eunuch, step aside. You are not permitted in the house of God. You are not permitted in the house of God. Oh, but a gatekeeper, Mr. Gatekeeper, I was told that there is a promise. I, I, I was told that, uh, that there's a promise in, in God's words. Do you, do you know where I could obtain that promise? How can I, Mr. Gatekeeper, get a hold of that promise? over my life. Mr. Eunuch, go to the temple bookstore. When you get to the temple bookstore, ask for the scrolls of Isaiah. It's going to be costly. And the reason why it's going to be costly is because each scroll is handwritten. Because when the Lord writes your name within his book, he writes your name within his book. Each scroll is handwritten. Oh, but the eunuch had no fear of that because he was the minister of finance to the queen. And so he could legitimize and justify his spending. Oh, queen, on my trip to Jerusalem, I brought you back a gift. It's the most expensive gift they had in their gift shop. Oh, what is it? It's the scroll of Isaiah. But really, what he was questing for, his mission was to seek out truth. And when you obey the mission, you will find the truth, but so will others that are around you. And so as they were going, verse 36 says this, and as they were going along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, See, here is water. What prevents me from being baptized? And he commanded the chariot to stop. And they both went down. They went down into the water. Peter didn't find a puddle and sprinkle him. They both went down into the water. And Philip and the eunuch, and he baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord carried Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more and went on his way rejoicing. That must have been some amazing chariot ride. Not just for the eunuch, but for those in the caravan that were entrusted to travel along. As they overheard the message, I never looked at him that way. Perhaps their own hearts were pricked. His life isn't fruitful. He's not very good for much. Seems to do a whole lot but accomplish nothing. Oh. They would have heard the message of Jesus' love going after the 99, perhaps some of them would have said, am I one? Would you come after me, God? Would you pursue me, God? The message was heard by others around. But the eunuch heard something 
that was most valuable that day. And that was this, that he would have something to pass on. For once in his life, he would have something to pass on. And what would that be? A blessing. That would be a memorial with his name on it. That would be an inheritance. An inheritance like none other. This eunuch, as he comes out of the water, it struck me as I was reading it. I was like, oh, wow, I didn't catch that. As he was coming out of the water, Philip was gone. But the eunuch didn't stop and say, Philip, where did you go? I have more questions. Philip, hello, Philip. Guys, did any of you see where Philip went? Did anybody see? Where did he go? Is he behind the bushes? Where did he disappear to? He was not concerned for the whereabouts of Philip because he knew where he was, because he had obtained the answer that he was seeking, because why? He had within his hands the answer. He had the scroll. He did not need to be dependent upon Philip, but he could what? Go on his way rejoicing. He went on his way rejoicing. He, he didn't say, I wish I could have just held on to him for a week at least. I wish I could. He didn't become codependent upon him. He saw that he was able to go on because he had the truth. And the truth would be something he would take with him. And you know what I believe happened? I believe he got to the queen's chambers. And I believe that he told her, and he told others in the queen's estate, I found truth. I went down to Jerusalem. They denied me to get into the temple of God. They said I couldn't come because I was a eunuch. But God loved me so much. He showed up personally for me. And you know what? He didn't just show up personally for me. He sent somebody to explain to me everything I didn't know. And you remember, Queen? Oh, Queen, do you remember when I asked you if I could go down to Jerusalem? I know I told you I just needed some time out. But really, Queen, really, Queen, I heard. I heard that there was a problem made to eunuchs and I wanted to know if that promise was true because I can't believe everything I'm told but I was told that that the that the eunuchs would have an inheritance and I just couldn't comprehend that oh queen but now queen with this gift that I told you I bought you this most priceless gift the inspired word of God with this gift oh queen I found the truth I found the truth. And you know what, queen? You can too. You can too. One vision. When the vision is shown to you, obey it. One mission. Pursue the mission. Journey the mission. Because as you find the truth in the mission, others will find the truth. One team. The eunuch went on his way, declaring the word rejoicing. I'm sure people said, what are you so happy about? So we know that the eunuch went on to share the word of the Lord. But Philip, one team, you know what happened to Philip? Verse 40 says it. 
Philip comes out of the waters and mysteriously, he's like, oh, apparently. And he says, but Philip found himself at Astos, and as he passed through, he what? Preached the gospel to all the towns until he came to Caesarea. One vision, one mission, one team. One vision, one mission, one team. Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Go and preach the gospel. This morning, you could be maybe the Philip. Maybe you're Philip. Maybe you're in that place where you're, you're feeling the, the nudging and the leading, but you don't understand it. You just don't understand it. You can't see the full picture, the clearness of it. But God is nudging you towards something. Obey. Run towards it. Obey. Maybe you're the eunuch. Maybe you feel like your life is cast out, rejected. Maybe you feel like your life is just unfruitful. Everything that you've done, tried to do, just didn't seem to bring forth any fruit because you've been cut off. Maybe you're in a place this morning of you don't even know who you are. But God says, I know your name. I know who you are, where you are. I've located you, and I know your name. And I have assigned to that name an identity and an inheritance. And the inheritance comes in knowing my son, Jesus, went to the cross for you. One vision, one mission, one team. One mission, one team. If the worship team could come, where are you at this morning? If you're the eunuch today, God sees your barrenness. Matter of fact, sandwiched between that Isaiah 53 and that Isaiah 60, uh, Isaiah 56, there's a verse of Isaiah 54 that says, Sing, O barren one. Sing, O barren one. Maybe your heart's been stirring. Maybe you felt the, the tapping of the Lord and his Holy Spirit moving on your heart because you related. Maybe you just related to the fact of not knowing where to from here. The truth is, the word is for all of us. And we can find ourselves in the word. We could be the caravan riders along the side, overhearing the word, because as we overhear it, we can share it with another when we meet them along the way. Oh, you know, I was on a trip the other day to Jerusalem and I heard this real powerful word that was being shared with my boss. I just want to tell you about it. There is nothing in God's word that goes out today and reaches void. It reaches the heart who will receive it. Would you bow your heads? Thank you, Father God. I... Holy Spirit, I just ask right now.
that you would just begin to speak to the hearts. Some really can't see but much more of the text than what was read and said. Some can't personalize it. But the Holy Spirit, would you illuminate to them what you want to say, whether it be for them personally or for them to share with another. But God, I want to speak to those that are the Phillips and the eunuchs this morning. In the name of Jesus, O oh God. Minister to their heart right now. As you ministered to Philip, enough to be able to rise and go. But as he walked out, his obedience, joy began to join his steps because his steps turned into running. Lord, would you show us how we could pursue the one? Could you show us, Lord, how we could come and run alongside of another person today? Gracing them in the understanding of your word. Spirit of the living God, speak now to the hearts of your people. Would there be Phillips that would rise up within this room this morning? Yes, God, I'll be that Philip. I'll run alongside of another. I'll share with them your word. I'll help them to understand. God, I will leave the 99 and search out the one that is lost, the one that is lonely, the one hiding in a corner, God. I'll be that Philip. God, I'll be that one that will embrace your vision, and I will choose to obey your purposes. Lord, I speak to the eunuchs this morning. It's interesting, God, that you chose not to give the eunuch a name because, Lord, then it becomes universally applicable to all of us. Universally applicable to all of us. Lord, would you locate those that this morning feel lost, feel barren, feel unfruitful in their life, feel like, what have I even accomplished? Lord, would you go to the ones that feel like they have nothing to leave behind to the generations that follow? And Lord, would you open up the eyes of their understanding to see you came to give them an inheritance. And if they would step out of the cloak of the eunuch and into the cloak of the Philip, that there would be generations that follow as they share your message of truth. Because, Lord, our inheritance doesn't always come from our own loins, but sometimes our inheritance comes from the seeds we have deposited in others of your word. Thank you, mighty God. Thank you, mighty God. May we, as a church, embrace the what now after your resurrection is said and done, may we embrace what now, Lord? Go into all the world and preach your gospel and baptize in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. As the worship team um, leads us in song, I just opened the altar for you to respond as God leads you.
to respond. You know what? It's none of our business even how you're responding or what you're responding to. Unless you share and we pray with you. It's not for us to judge. Oh, I wonder why they're going up. Just respond. Could you just obey? Run and obey. Run and obey. Run and obey the word of the Lord today. As you come, the elders will respond and they will pray for you unless they are also responding. <laughs>